electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Google, in a legal defense for the ages, charged by the government of antitrust practices for putting its search engine on your iPhone. To the tune of about $18 billion a year, which is, you know, not quite chump change. Competition expert Tim Wu on the case. It's harder to be a monopoly if you are acting with another company and you're paying them for the positioning. And the lessons from trials past. Fundamentally, Microsoft is more about sticks, and this is more about carrots. The risk of potential conflict between China and Taiwan. Former NATO Supreme Allied Commander James Stavridis. In dealing with China today, the U.S. ought to take an approach of confront where we must, but cooperate wherever we can. Plus, the UAW strike spreading to more plants, the government countdown to shutdown, and do you ever think it's just a lot of bad news? What happened to the 50s? Do you remember the 50s? You don't no, remember. I don't remember the 50s. Good thing we're here. Normal people aren't going, oh my God, 30 more basis points. It's Friday, September 22nd, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you by in three, two, one, cue please. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. It is Friday. And uh, a lot of people probably glad we made it to this part of the week. Not just us, but investors at this point may be done with the week. Terrible day. Yesterday. Yesterday, the S&P had its worst day since all the way back to March. But if you're talking week to date, the S&P is now down by about 2.7% for the week. And believe it or not, it's a better performer than what we've seen for the Nasdaq, which is down by 3.5% for the week to date. Dow only down by about 1.5%. But yesterday was a pretty rough day. Yep. And it was yields. It was this next uh, board that that we're going to show that it's in the back of, I don't, wouldn't say everybody's minds, you know, normal, Investors. Pe- normal people aren't going, oh my God, 30 more basis points. But uh, we're yeah. cer- certainly take, uh, sitting up and taking notice of the 10 year now, almost four and a half. What is that? Like 14 year high? I don't know. I read something. It's, yeah, it's, it, it had this, this, this high. Too, but which is a contrary. Today, up 3.6%. Yeah, on how low we, we were for, for a long time with the back to back crises that we faced over the past. 15 years. Right, right. And if you look at that very steep curve, that tells the story from 2020 on, where we've gone from those lows all the way back up. Two-year, same story. Uh, And and then we have some new news overnight as well. Japan's central bank maintaining its ultra-loose policy, leaving interest rates unchanged. The Bank of Japan cited extremely high uncertainty surrounding economies and financial markets at home and abroad. And this is a pretty big deal. The yen and what's going to happen to it. It's been weak. There have been expectations that perhaps the central bank would actually raise rates. Governor Weta has kind of indicated that that could be the case. 
um, saying that as soon as the end of the year, they could be looking around and talking about finally ending negative interest rates, which is an experiment that's taken place for an awfully long time. Yesterday, I actually spoke with Japan's prime minister. He was speaking in Japanese. We'll, we'll show you some with the quick interpretation, and then I can just give you some of the background, yeah, let's, too. Yeah, let's I'll, definitely I'll tell you in English. Do, do the interpreter uh, with that. Don't, Good uh, idea. Just politically speaking, though, if they did end zero interest rates, would it make meeting your political agenda more difficult because of the shrinking liquidity, or would it perhaps be more helpful because it would strengthen the yen? My government is closely monitoring uh, the movements in the uh, foreign exchange market, whether it is excessive at a high level of vigilance and will appropriately respond uh, to excessive volatility without ruling out any options. This prime minister is trying very hard to get things up and running again. And you've seen the, the Nikkei really outperform and do very well. Um, they're trying to lure foreign investors. He spoke to the Economic Club of New York yesterday, and that mm -hmm. was basically his message that Japan is open for business and they want foreign investment. Yep, everybody does. I was yeah. watching, you know, the Saudis uh, in an interview on, on one of our competing networks with um, MBS. It was fascinating. I kind of like that guy, even though I know about all the, yeah, yeah I know all the bad stuff, but he's certainly okay. engaging and... Well, um, it's, it's, these are... I mean, gregarious and, and, and seems well-intentioned about bringing... Think if you... And, and they said, uh, you know, the, one of the questions was, all right, some guy posted something online that the, the, the country didn't like. So he's got the death sentence for posting something online. He's like, are, are you going to go through with that? And he's like, I got to get rid of laws that are on the books that judges enforce. And there's hundreds of, of these antiquated, really laws from... Uh, you know, hundreds uh, or, or a long time ago that are obviously not, they don't seem to fit in at all with the way we view the world at this point. But you need to get rid of the laws if you aren't going to obey what, what the laws well, do. And he says, I'm, you know, what's the judge supposed to do? And, and, he was in and, a different country. Jamal Khashoggi, when he brought him in. No, I don't mean that. I just mean in that country, there are still things that go. People get Tom beheaded. Friedman has, for, Tom Friedman has given him huge props for what he's done in terms of opening up the society for women. That's what I mean. It, trying to look at that, trying to look at bringing the society forward and maybe find other ways uh, to help your society than instead of relying just on fossil fuels. He's done a lot to do to open all of those markets and to try and change things. But it's still Jamal a brutal... Just, yeah, it's... But it's... They're not, you know... It just weighs so heavily. Go a little bit east of there and you'll find some just as much brutality in a country that we barely ask... Well, we're asking questions now, but we certainly have... Uh, now let China basically do what it wants and, and, and traded with them There's a new in terms report, of human rights. There's a new report in the Washington Post today that, that looks at American companies that complied with some of the Uyghur um, uh, policies yeah. that, that China put in place. And, Just and, looking and the other way. That kind of jumps into American companies, Tesla being one of them. Um, yeah. oh. so it's, it, we're looking at things differently and opening up and asking questions, but, and I think that's probably what we should do. Yep. Now to Washington, uh, a possible strike by, uh, if you will, a metaphor with what might happen at the government. Nine days ago, before a government shutdown, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, hitting another dead end, sending House uh, members home for the weekend after that faction of GOP House members again blocked a procedural, just a procedural vote on something that the GOP usually does, like a defense spending bill, key spending bill. That was yesterday. The White House has reportedly set to tell federal agencies uh, today, 
to start preparing for a shutdown. And the clock is also ticking towards the United Auto Worker Union's noon deadline for what they are calling serious progress from Ford, General Motors and Stellantis on contract negotiations. If they don't get it, they are threatening to ramp things up. So far, 13,000 of the union's 150,000 members have been on strike. That's been happening since last Friday. Those strikes, though, could be expanded this afternoon. In a statement late last night, GM says it's now clear that the UAW leadership has always intended to cause months-long disruption. UAW leadership needs to put the interest of its members and the country over their own ideological and personal agendas. GM said that it has put five record offers on the table and is ready to bargain in good faith. But if you listen to what GM has to say or had to say last night, that does not sound like much progress at all has been made. We know that the gulf between what the automakers are offering and what the auto workers are asking for is still very wide. I wanted to get settled and I don't think you're going to get 40. But when I, you know, when I hear the, the management say these, everybody, they keep saying these are record offers. All right. Um, for, for 10 or 11 years, they, you were definitely beneath, being the best ever after the last 10 years, a record offer doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's, as, as, it's much as, as much as, as what they're going to settle. And, and if you understand what they gave up back in 2007. That's what I mean. And look, I, I still go back to Harry Wilson, who I think has been our best guest, kind of explaining what happened in the past, what he thinks needs to happen. A former Republican who sat at the negotiating table back in 2007, he said they right. gave up a lot. He thinks they, it was insulting when the auto workers, uh, when the automakers started out with a, a gain of five, six, seven percent, that that is what set the tone for this. They came in tone deaf, undercut their offer. But he also thinks that the auto union is the union is now asking for far too much and that it has gotten to be almost a battle with God. I told what Harry said was go for 30 percent. That that's a would be Republican. But I told, he worked in the, you know, the Obama administration for, for he has a Stockholm syndrome. That's what I told him when he was on. He, things started seeming normal to him that would not have been normal if he hadn't been surrounded he by... He said a 30% raise would be fair, but you can't go back to offering some of the legacy programs that they ended in 2007, like retiree health care, that that was something that they were billions of dollars underwater in. And so there's a way to do this to try and appease all sides. Right. I mean, record contract record offers there's other things that we say are records and they're by a hundredth of a degree or whatever so there's you know we use records loosely a lot in, in this case it doesn't really i don't i'm not impressed you need to if, do inflation find out what if they are making 20 percent less than they, they were, were 15 years ago then you know cheese will be next Stay tuned. Squawk Box will be right back after this Friday. I'm in love. Coming up on the podcast, the architect of the Biden administration's antitrust policies, Columbia law professor Tim Wu on the high tech stakes and strategy at the White House. They're happy to bat 500, 600. The Obama administration wanted to bat like a thousand. They wanted to be perfect. I think this administration has a different policy. We'll be right back. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Google has changed the way we use the internet, and it's now facing an existential risk in the courtroom. The company is currently defending itself in the biggest technology antitrust trial in decades. The government alleges Google unlawfully abused its search dominance to maintain monopoly power. Now, Joe and Becky spoke today with Columbia law professor Tim Wu. He recently served as an advisor to the Biden administration. He is often hailed as the architect of the president's competition and antitrust policies. Wu's recent New York Times op-ed declares the Google trial is going to rewrite our future. Becky Quick takes things from here. So, Tim, welcome. Thanks. Good to have Please. you here today. Pleased to be here. Uh, th- obviously, this is hugely important. There are uh, people watching this from industry on every side, trying to figure mm-hmm. out what's going to happen. But for those who haven't been following along from home, let- let's lay this out. The government's heart of this case is that Google was behaving in monopolistic ways by mm-hmm. paying Apple to be the primary browser that it had on its iPhone. Uh, search engine, yeah, I think that's the, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the, the, the heart of the case, inter- that's fine. Internet Explorer, yeah. which is what it Similar case, similar yeah. case. I think the heart of the case is the idea that Google maintains its search dominance, you know, the only, uh, its monopoly in search by paying off people, most prominently Apple to the tune of about 18 billion a year, which okay. is, you know, not quite chump change to split the market, let's say. I've gone back and forth on this. We had Steve Ballmer on earlier this week, I believe, and he said it's the case that most reminds him that he thinks there was even more to bring in this case than there was against Microsoft with the Internet Explorer situation. And I understand that argument, the idea of buying off your competition, keeping anybody else away. But this is different than the Microsoft situation because Microsoft was doing it with its own browser on on its own software. And so it was locking other people out. This yes. reminds me in some ways of a, a grocery store selling the end display at the end of the aisle to a particular, you know, Intamin's Cakes or Twinkies or whatever you're going to have at the end. What, it, yeah, it's harder were. to be a monopoly if you, are, if you are acting with another company and you're paying them for the positioning. You know, I think uh, if there were only one grocery store, if there were only a couple products, you know, it might be like that. Grocery stores are a much more competitive market and there's a lot more uh, going on. I mean, the difference between this and Microsoft, I think, is fundamentally Microsoft was more about sticks and this is more about carrots. You know, Microsoft was muscling people down. In this case, you know, it's a big payment effectively to split the market. I think the allegation that Apple stayed out of search mm-hmm. for this reason is also pretty important to the case. You know, they had early kind of makings of a search engine handling surf traffic. Well, why don't we just stay out? We'll give you 18 billion a year or whatever and we'll just not compete. What if, what if Bing from Microsoft or somebody else came in and said, we're willing to pay $20 billion to do it? Would that change the situation if there was another player and it wasn't locked up with one and it I, became more competitive? I, I don't think anyone was in a position to spend that much money. It wouldn't be as profitable for them to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's an anti-competitive deal. I think that's what it comes down to. I think they've got them on that deal. What, what, do you, what do you think of what's happened so far in, in the court uh, case to this point, of, I mean, the, of, of the testimony we've heard yeah, so far? Yeah, from what I've seen and read, I think they're doing pretty well, the government. 
because they've got, first of all, the big payment. They've got Google kind of admitting this has been a strategy all along through its documentation. And they have other companies like DuckDuckGo saying we couldn't get in there. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going pretty well for them. Um, what, what is the hurdle, though? Because we've seen some situations where the government has lost some big cases recently. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the think, Microsoft situation with Activision. Yeah. Um, when you have losses like that, is that a case that you build eventually towards a stronger hand, or is it bad news if you start losing cases left and right? I mean, I think this, this administration, this antitrust division, it is taking some big swings. And when you take big swings, like in baseball, you miss some and you hit some. So they, they're rejecting the old approach, which was like, we're they're not no, going to hit. They're nowhere near winning a batting title. In fact, they wouldn't even, they'd be sitting on the bench. They haven't had many, they haven't had, they haven't had many at-bats yet. They've won Random House. They've blocked a whole bunch of other mergers. I think they're doing all right. The FTC did lose, did lose the Activision case, but that was a you know, tough case to win, I'll say. So, you know, they're going for it, and it's a different kind of approach. They're happy to win, you know. They're happy to bat 500, 600. The Obama administration wanted to bat, like, 1,000. They wanted to be perfect. I think this administration has a different policy. So they didn't bring actions that they thought yeah. they were going to lose. I mean, I was in there. We're like, well, we don't know if we're going to win this. We're not going to bring it. We'll settle it. Obama administration settled a lot. This, this administration is going to trial. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't be the, the perspective, and I think sometimes it is with Lena Khan, that everything's bad, and we're, gonna, we're not going to let anyone merge, and therefore we're going to take big swings. But wh why, have that, why start out with, with that viewpoint? What, what, what's bad about I'm, it? I think that they want to enforce statutes as written, and the Clayton Act says that anti-competitive mergers should be blocked. You know, and they think that they, they that the last administration got too, con it, it, got too even conscious. If, even if consumers benefit. I, I mean, there, there, there are times when companies shouldn't be in business because they're not I think they believe the last 10 years, last 20 years, a lot of mergers happened that did not benefit consumers. Airline mergers, mergers all over the health care industry. And they're looking back, a lot of hospital mergers, and like, look, prices went up, things got worse, we blew it. Healthcare is a lot different than technology, though. It is, it is. but it's actually worse, I think, in some of the merger really? practices. Really? Yes. Like, where, where do you think? Uh, most of the hospital mergers you look at have led to higher prices, worse patient outcomes, and have led to uh, workers getting less money. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the history of, they decided we really got to crack down on hospitals, for example. Um, some of the practice group, Lena Khan just brought a case today against practice group merger, where you roll up all the anesthesiologists, and then they raise their prices. I mean, these are not good for American consumers or for American business. Although the doctors I talked to, you know, my doctors, have complained that they were forced to go into bigger practices because of Obamacare, that they couldn't keep up with the regulatory. If you're a small office, it's a lot of bureaucratic red tape to keep up with. And as a result, many of them wound up merging with bigger groups. You don't think the base case should be let, let the markets decide on, on, on what happens? No, you, Congress said something Here you have else, the government you know? does one thing, and then that causes the unintended consequences for another thing, and then that causes this to happen, and that Stay out of it. Well, let I'll say two things. First of all, you can take that argument to Congress. Congress did pass the law banning anti-competitive mergers. Right. So, you know, that's a view. Second, I think that, you know, they got to shake stuff up. Congress has passed a lot of things that haven't been very smart in the last couple of years. Well, too. you know, but they do still, as far as I know, control uh, what the law is. Right. Anyway, I think Congress is, uh, part of the point of it also is it's got to shake up some of these Congress markets. Congress gave us 33, Wait, 33 trillion in debt. Too, Tim, so. I, I would love to have a longer conversation sure. on this. We are uh, literally out of time for the show. But okay. please come back. Sure. You're close and we'd love to have it. Sure. Okay. Great. 
Next on Squawk Pod is a potential conflict between China and Taiwan brewing. Retired Admiral James Stavridis weighs in on the increase in Chinese fighter jets and warships circling Taiwan. But is it a drill? Nobody's saying. This is kind of a new wrinkle. It's a bit disturbing. And yet we're not hearing either side trumpeting it a great deal. All of that leads me to believe this is one to watch. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by Joe, his mic, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick. The futures aren't doing much, but... Uh, <laughs> along with Becky no, Quick. No, I'm just saying, no, no, I'm just, I'm just thinking about <laughs> yes, the world we're living in. We got strikes, we got $90 yes. oil, we got a war in Ukraine, we've got a possible government shutdown. What happened to the 50s? Do you remember the 50s? You don't no, remember, I don't remember the leave 50s. It to, well, I don't remember the 50s, but I remember Leave It to Beaver, and I remember they didn't have all these problems, you know uh, what, it doesn't seem like. There's always things. Eddie there Haskell are, was their biggest always, problem. Yeah, I know. There are always but things to be grateful for. Government but I do feel the interest rates are going up. The bond market is 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 going down. Um, Happy Friday. <laughs> that's the only good thing. No, but think about all. I mean, lucky I, we're lucky we're in the news business. Well, we, well, lucky except for that you get a front row seat to all these problems. Right. Maybe that's part of the. I problem. I mean, strikes too. in Hollywood, strikes at UAW. This is a serious one at the UAW. This and, is and a potential government shutdown. We were just and saying, a potential the government shutdown. That run through all. But of no these. pandemic. Yeah, so for now, so we yeah. got that going for us. So but it, interest rates are at what 14-year highs, uh, something like that. Mortgages, getting more and more expensive. Groceries, um, you know, if you can't pay your rent, you're not going to be able to buy gasoline. But it is. Do you see Friday, what I'm saying? And there is no. Oh, pandemic. so you're going to fall we'll back on having a couple of days off? Okay. Well, but the world's going to keep burning. World's going to keep burning. We do. Yes. We do. Today, Taiwan's defense minister called recent Chinese military movements around the island abnormal. Taiwan has reported an increase in these types of activities, including fighter jets, drones and bombers. Joining us right now to talk about the current state of tensions and the risk of a political conflict in that region is Admiral James Stavridis. He is the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. He's also chief international analyst for NBC News and MSNBC. And, uh, sir, looking at what's happening here, it's different than what we've seen in the past, maybe you say because of the silence. You want to explain why this is different and why this is perhaps more threatening? Um, it's a bit of geography going on here, Becky. What, what the Taiwanese are used to and what we've normally seen out of China is flying around on the western side of the island, that stretch of water about 100 miles in between Taiwan's west coast and China's east coast. That's normal, if you will. What's new here is those aircraft are kind of encircling the island and moving around to the east side of the island, the back of the island from China. Why that matters 
is because on that eastern portion of the island of Taiwan is where the Taiwanese have built up most of their bases, most of their capability to kind of protect it from China, which threatens on the other side. So this is kind of a new wrinkle. It's a bit uh, disturbing. And yet we're not hearing either side trumpeting it a great deal. All of that leads me to believe this is one to watch. I'll close here. I don't see it flaring up into a, a big attack scenario. China's slowly trying to make Taiwan used to this encirclement piece. I mean, it almost sounds like a dog marking its territory if you're flanking from the other side and just saying, we're not just playing in the straight between us, but this is all part of our territory. Indeed. And, and there's military tactical utility here as well, because when you swing around behind, you can use those shorter range missiles more accurately against the Taiwanese Air Force. And worth pointing out, in terms of pure numbers, China has 4,000 military aircraft, Taiwan about 400. So at the end of the day, uh, this is a very challenging scenario for Taiwan, certainly has the attention of Madam Tsai, the president, and the military leadership on the island. How would you boil that down and, and, and tell business leaders who might be watching this, those who have business interests or potential business interests in Taiwan, in China, what, what does this mean for them? Um, I don't think this is a significant change, Becky. And at the Carlyle Group, where I'm vice chairman for global affairs, um, we remain long on China. We believe that uh, the U.S. and China will find ways to work through the relationship, but there will be spikes and tensions as we go. Um, probably the next one to, to watch for closely will be in January when Taiwan has a set of elections, if the new president of Taiwan is uh, more uh, aggressive toward China, that would be a spike. But Becky, longer term, we continue to believe the U.S. and China are going to work through this. Final thought, President Xi and President Biden will be getting together face to face in San Francisco in a few months. Um, that'll be a good point, I think. Um, to balance against some of these spikes that we will see from time to time. Admiral Stravridis, part of um, any sort of negotiation or dance with this is just the basic understanding of know your adversary. What, right. what would be more effective, in your opinion, uh, when these meetings come up between President Biden and President Xi? Is this a situation where you stake your ground and say, don't cross this line? Is this a situation where you try and uh, downplay the tensions and, and, and find ways to work across the board together? It's a bit of both, Becky. And if I were going to boil it down and really summarize it, I'd say in dealing with China today, the U.S. ought to take an approach of confront where we must, but cooperate wherever we can. So we need to confront China on their claims of ownership, for example, of the entire South China Sea, a vast sea space half the size of the United States. We're not going to simply turn that space over to China. On the other hand, where can we cooperate, perhaps in climate, perhaps in humanitarian activities around the world, perhaps in medical diplomacy? There are zones of cooperation. And I would park our world of business that we focus on here on Squawk kind of right in the middle. There are going to be parts of the business world 
where there will be tension. Cyber is another area of confrontation. But certainly, there's a great deal of trade that's going to continue between these two nations. I don't see a big decoupling coming out of all this. Prime Minister Kishida of Japan was in New York yesterday and, and speaking with different groups about trying to stress the importance of having allies, the United States, South Korea, Japan. He, he intentionally has reached out to try and ease some of the troubles with Japan or with South Korea and make a stronger relationship there. He's doing the same thing with the United States um, because he sees a huge threat from China and from Russia. Um, how important are building those those allied relationships? Um, the greatest comparative advantage of the United States, and we have many advantages from our innovation systems to our capitalism, to our younger population. We have many advantages. I would argue our greatest is this glittering array of alliances around the world. And to what you just mentioned, Becky, I would add Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, and increasingly India. This idea of a, a quad between the United States, Japan, Australia, and India balancing China. Let's try and pull South Korea into that. Let's make that quad a quint that would be pretty smart strategy. I think you'll see that in the months ahead. Admiral Stavridis, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Becky. That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Thank goodness it's Friday. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and get the best of our TV show right in your ears in this podcast. Squawk Pod is available wherever you listen, and thank you for it. Have a great weekend. We'll meet you back here on Monday. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.